While I'm up here right now, what we're getting ready for, as Phil already mentioned, we're going to get to experience an ultrasound here live together as a church family. It's going to be projected up on the screen where we'll get to see it. Um, and so we've got Dr. Kurt Baum over here, who's a member of our church and is a medical doctor um, and also volunteers his time at a sure pregnancy clinic to help out. And we have Maxine come to the front, who's graciously allowed us to get in on what's going on with her baby as we do this together. Um, we don't do this every year on Sanctity of Life Sunday, but we've done this a couple times before. And actually, somebody dug up some pictures. So this is, if I remember right, this is three years ago. And you can see Kurt up there with the microphone. He's leading us through the ultrasound um, of Charlie and Kristen Vetter's daughter up there on the screen. You can kind of see it on the ultrasound. And then here they are. So just as a reminder of the future of all this. So we're going to get to see sort of the beginnings of what's going on here with this little baby, but it's a reminder of what the future holds as well. And, and part of the great thing about this is, is we get to be reminded about when life begins and what's going on, but we also get a little bit of a view right now into some of the beautiful things that go on at a sure pregnancy clinic where we as a church support them, many of you as individuals support them or volunteer there, but they get the opportunity to be with women who are at the early stages of pregnancy and sometimes in stressful and anxiety-giving situations, and they're able to do beautiful service for them, um, including getting to do these ultrasounds. So I'm going to hand it over to Kurt, and he's going to sort of talk us through what we're going to see and also talk us through what a woman might experience if she comes into a sure. So... Kurt? Well, thanks, church, so much for having us. Um, on behalf of Assure, we're so grateful for your support. And this is one of the few churches that really um, financially supports us. And of course, a ton of you guys are volunteers. And this is where Alternate Avenue started out of this church. And uh, so we're just really grateful. And what a great opportunity to get to look inside the baby and see the baby here. And uh, Thanks so much to Maxine and her family. Her, um, both her, or her parents and her in-laws came, and this is the first baby for Maxine. And uh, she's about 18 weeks, 18, 19 weeks, right? And we think it's a boy, but we weren't able to really see that today. She's seen that on a previous ultrasound. Um, and you can see the baby's spine here and the head. So the arrow here is the baby's head, and this is part of the baby's brain. And there's a little bit of fluid. The baby just kicked there. And then this is the neck and the spine and some of the ribs. And then we're going to come in and see the heart beating right here. And I'm going to color flow that for you so you can see that a little bit better. Let's change the depth. Let's see if I can change the trackball here. So sometimes we will actually hear the heartbeat, um, but we've disabled the machine, I believe, because normally we're ultrasounding the babies at Assure at about 10 to 12 weeks. And this is a 10 to 12 week baby. And uh, you can see that that fits nicely on the probe, <laughs> but Maxine's big baby here, I have to move it all around to see all the different parts. <laughs> Occasionally we get the mom who's full term that doesn't know she's pregnant and comes in surprised and this kind of, but that's pretty rare. And once in a while we'll see somebody who's been mixed with their feelings all the way to 20 weeks. Um, and so we're going to go down here to the baby's legs. 
I'll zoom in on the baby a little bit. And you can see the baby kicking around here. And this is the baby's private parts right there. <sighs> so we got a little view of that today. Which is kind of exciting for a lot of moms. Maybe a little nervous about having a boy. Um, so let me talk a little bit about how it works at Assure as you kind of get a little view of the baby here. This is the, more of the baby's head now. And, oh, the baby's looking away from us. Before, we were able to get kind of some eyes. and So this is the baby's top of the head. The hand's up here. This is the fingers, kind of up on the ear. And the baby's like, no, I don't want to hear. <laughs> and see if I can kind of get the eyeballs again. So because the hand and those bones in the hand, it's shading and giving us some shadowing, making it kind of hard to see the baby's face here. But the baby's nose and eyes are right in there. And we can sometimes see the baby like opening and closing the mouth and doing all kinds of exciting things. So at Assure, we usually focus on a little tiny baby like this, like I said, and we go right to the heartbeat here. And the heartbeat is about, you know, 140, 150 beats a minute. And it's, it, the, when the mom hears that, it's like, boof, 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 and she's like, that's when the tears come. And uh, this ultrasound, like you're seeing it today, and you get to see the life of the baby, is what we use at Assure to... Um, show the moms that it's not just a plus sign on a pregnancy stick, but that it's a life. And 87 to 90% of the time that a young mom seeking an abortion will come to assure and see this, she'll change her mind and keep the baby. So this is a very powerful tool, and uh, I'm, we're just really grateful that you get to see inside of Maxine today in front of the whole church and say, yeah, it is... Uh, it's truly a little life in there. And uh, when you get the little baby like this and the little hands, it just feels like it's even more amazing. You know, a couple weeks past their first time they get a pregnancy positive, they're already able to see this. So anyways, uh, I think that's good enough. I want to pray for Maxine a minute. And then I'll let Dan take over. All right, join me in prayer, will you? Lord God, we're just so grateful for how awesome you are and that you um, gave Maxine and the baby the courage to be seen today, Lord. And uh, more than just Maxine and her family, we want to lift up all the parents out there that have lost a baby either by choice or by your will, Lord, and, and that um, even though it's hard sometimes to see this, we just pray that you would bless them and reassure them that you are in control and that you have that little baby's life no matter what, Lord. We just lift up Maxine and this baby that the pregnancy would go well, that the delivery would go well, and that your spirit would fill this child and the child would come to know you and love you like we do, Lord. And let this just be a light into all the church that we would affirm life through seeing this today and that this little baby that's growing in Maxine would um, be just a light into a dark world, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Well, thanks so much, Maxine. Thanks, Kurt, for letting us share in that.
And I'll just throw this in also. For, you heard Kurt just talk a little bit about the, the ministry over at Assure. Um, they're, they're here today with us, um, and they, they've got a table outside. And so if you're interested in finding out ways to give financially to them, to partner with them, to volunteer, um, thankfully a lot, of, uh, a lot of the volunteers that they have are women from this church that go over and help out. So if you're interested in that, that may be part of what God is calling you to do through today. And in a couple of minutes, I'm going to read the passage that we're going to walk through on the Sanctity of Life Sunday. Um, but, but before that, I just wanted to say a couple of introductory things, because this is a different kind of Sunday for us. And uh, I know there's probably a lot of you that whether you knew we were doing this or not, you're excited. You said, oh, gosh, the ultrasound was great. I love when we do this. Um, some of you maybe showed up, and, and if you were being honest, your thought would have been, if I'd known we were doing this, I wouldn't have come. Um, and I know that that's true because that happens every single year. I have somebody come up to me that say, and say, if I'd known this was happening, I wouldn't have come. And thankfully, they usually follow that with, but I'm glad I did. Um, but, but let me speak to you for, for a couple of reasons. If, if you're one of those people that says, I kind of wish I wasn't here. Um, and that's that you may be thinking that because you sort of know, all right, that they're going to be given a very pro-life message and maybe you're not pro-life. Maybe you're pro-choice, and so you have a different perspective, and so you, you feel like, I'm a little uncomfortable with this. Um, and, and I want to say a couple things. Um, first of all, you're right. We are pro-life as a church, and that's not really because we have some kind of a political agenda. That is our statement of saying that we believe that life begins at conception. We believe every human being is created in the image of God, and there's an inherent dignity that goes along with that. You know, just tomorrow, many of us have the day off school or the day off work because we're celebrating Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And most of us, God, God willing, are mortified when we look back and we look at the idea of any human being because of race being treated as less than a person. We're mortified by that because human beings are created in the image of God. And the same thing that leads us to be mortified at racism and dehumanization in that way leads us to be mortified at the idea of killing an unborn baby. Um, and so if you're here, yeah, if you're a Christian and you're pro-choice, I'll just be out with it. I think you have the wrong perspective. And I will invite you to change your perspective through what we talk about. But let me also say this. If you're a Christian and you're pro-choice and you wish you weren't here, God knew exactly what was going on in this room this morning and he still got you here. So you're here, there's something for you here this morning. Um, but, but I know that there's probably another group of you, and the, the reason why this is hard is either because you have an abortion in your past, and so you feel guilt about this, and this sort of tears open the scar for you, um, or, or for some of you, maybe it's because you've dealt with miscarriage, and you've dealt with infertility, and so this is just a difficult subject. And, and let me say, for, for those of you that, that are having a hard time this morning because you have guilt, because you say, this, this tears open guilt because I had an abortion, or because I talked my girlfriend, or my wife, or my daughter, or my sister into having an abortion. If that's you, here's the important message for you. First of all, once again, God got you here, even though you didn't know what was going on. But secondly, the gospel of Jesus is that we have our guilt taken away, not by pretending it's not there, but by facing up to it and realizing that Jesus, when he died on the cross, carried our guilt and our shame. Those things died with him. So that means as Christians, we don't believe that there's sort of two categories. They're like, all right, well, there are good Christians who've done the right things, and then there are people who have had abortions and they're bad. We believe all of us 
who are saved by Jesus are saved because we are desperate, godless sinners that God reached down by his grace and rescued. So if abortion is part of your story, you are not beyond God's reach and you are not in some special category here. You are in good company with a bunch of sinners who have been rescued by a gracious God. Uh, Now that said, I want to read the passage that we're going to go through, which is in the Psalms. We're going to walk through Psalm 127. It's a short one. It's just five verses. And I'm going to read it through here. We're also going to have it up here on the screen. So you can just kind of, if you don't have a Bible, you can watch along on the screen as we scroll through it. But I'll read the whole passage and then I'll pray for us and then we'll begin to walk through the message. So Psalm 127, starting in verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. This is God's word. Let's pray before we move forward. Father, thank you that you've given us your word. Thank you for what we've already experienced this morning, getting to have the time of giving our worship to you. Thank you for the joy of getting to experience a, a close-up of the life um, that, is, that is now here but is yet to come also. And Father, we pray that you lead each one of us. Whatever baggage we're bringing into this morning, whatever um, assumptions we already have about this, Father, I pray that you speak your grace to each one of us, and I pray that you convict each one of us by the power of your Spirit. Lead us so that we are a people who truly reflect you to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, So this is a service that we do every year. Um, Every year, right about this time, we do Sanctity of Life service. And it's not just our church. It's churches all over the nation. Some of you know that just back on Friday, there was the March for Life in Washington, D.C. So we are in on something that is a a national thing going on that that we're a part of with this. And in years past, we've talked about the the whole subject of life and abortion from a bunch of different angles because there's a lot of ways to talk about this. And so there have been years where we have focused much more on sort of the the scientific and the medical side of things. There are years where we focused in on what scripture says about the unborn and going into the John the Baptist in the womb and Jesus in the womb and different things that are talked about. Um, And and so we've dealt with it in all kinds of different angles. And and if you're hoping for for more on this subject, you can just go back and look at old, old sermon archives from right about this time every January, because that's when we talk about this. Um, And the angle that we want to talk about it this morning is specifically something that was brought up in the passage that we just read, and that is what is our attitude as a nation and as individuals toward children? And the reason that we're going to talk about this is because our attitude as a nation and as individuals, our attitude towards abortion is driven by our attitude towards children. It is hard to disconnect the two. And one of the big reasons for this is that there are many of us, myself included, who believe that abortion should not be legal. 
Um, I, I would vote for that. I believe that that's true, um, not because I want to limit freedom for a whole bunch of people, but because I believe that unborn life should be protected. So I'll put that out there. I do believe abortion should not be legal, but let's just take it off the, the table for a minute and say we don't have the political power to make that happen. Let's say for the rest of our lives, abortion is still legal in our country. That fact doesn't mean that any abortions need to happen. Abortion is a supply and demand issue. Right now, thankfully in our nation, nobody is being forced by the government to get an abortion. So this isn't something that anybody is being forced into in that sense. That means that we as a nation could look at this and say, it may be allowed, but we're not doing it. There are a lot of things in our country that are allowed. You are allowed to eat poison ivy. But people aren't setting up restaurants that sell it. And the reason is because there's no demand. Nobody's saying, give me some of that. And yet with abortion, the big issue is not simply that we as a country have said, we will allow this. It's that we have a country have said, we want this. There's a great demand for it. And if our attitude towards children in a general sense was different, the demand simply wouldn't be there and this would become much less of an issue. Or maybe even the government would continue to say this is allowed, but we as a nation will look at that and say, well, we're not taking you up on that. Our attitudes towards abortion is driven by our attitude towards children. And, and you already heard it read, but in this great psalm, we get that great statement. Children are a heritage from the Lord. They're a reward from God. We have that great statement, but we also have a buildup to that. And so what we're gonna be invited to in this message is we're gonna be invited to a couple of perspective shifts, a couple of ways that we need to think and act differently in light of what God has told us. And part of my big goal here is that I, I don't know where everybody is at with this issue, but there's many of us in this room that would say, I am pro-life. I'd stand on that side of things. I am pro-life. We as a church are called to be pro-life in much more than just saying, I say this, I have the bumper sticker, I vote for people. But in the way that we conduct our lives, that we would reflect the value that would get us to that point. So we're going to be invited to some perspective shifts in our culture that will allow us to embrace that and reflect the gospel to those around us. And the first perspective shift, the one that builds up to the great statement about children being a reward, comes in verses 1 and 2. And the first perspective shift is us shifting from the viewpoint that we are independent, self-sufficient people to the more correct view that we are people who are utterly dependent on God for everything. And that's what we get right away in verse 1. We read, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. And if you have an open Bible, you'll see this in your Bible. You won't see this on the screen up front, but there's a little bit of an introduction to Psalm 127. And that introduction tells us that this is a psalm that was written by Solomon, which is a little bit out of the ordinary. He's not the main author of the psalms. It's mostly David and then a bunch of other worship leaders. But we get a couple from Solomon, and this is one of them. And one of the reasons why I think that that's significant is because if you know anything about Solomon's life, you know that he had some experience with building. 
Solomon built the great temple for the Jewish people. Solomon built the great palace for the kings of Israel. Solomon built all kinds of other things. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, he talks about the idea that he built great structures to sort of bolster his pride. He has a lot of experience with building and not only a lot of experience, he had a lot of success with building. But Solomon speaks to the whole Jewish nation and he speaks to all of us and he says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. You can be as smart and as successful and as thoughtful in your planning as you can possibly be, but God is the only one who gives success. And in the second part of the verse, you can see Solomon also as a king of Israel, he had some experience with looking to protect Israel's borders. We've got the watchers on the gate. We've got the guards and they're watching out for enemies. In fact, this is one of the many Psalms, one of 15 Psalms that was sung by the Jewish people when they would be coming into Jerusalem for feasts. It's called a Psalm of Ascents. So they're heading into the city and they're singing this Psalm and you can imagine them starting to glimpse the gates of Jerusalem as they come and seeing the guards up on top of the gates and then singing out, unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Solomon was a great builder And Solomon also oversaw the greatest period of peace that the Jewish people ever had. And yet Solomon says, unless the Lord watches over the city, those who watch stand guard in vain. We are not able to make our success happen. We are not able to make our protection happen. And verse 2 reinforces something else. Verse 2, he says, in vain, you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. The, The actual literal Hebrew there is eating the bread of sorrows. You are spending yourself getting up early and staying up late to go and work. And then he ends by saying, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Um, And and that last phrase there, it's actually kind of tricky in the Hebrew. It's it's debated what it means. And the way that the NIV translates it up here, it says, for he grants sleep to those he loves. And and so one way of understanding this would be, all right, um, you're you're getting up early, you're staying up late, you're giving yourself, you're a workaholic trying to make sure that you and your family are provided for. But you know what? If you really trust the Lord, you can sleep easy because you know that he's the one who provides. So that's one possible way. But actually in the Hebrew, the more likely way that this should be read is he provides for his loved ones while they sleep. In other words, what it seems to be saying is this. You're the farmer and you're getting up early and you're watering and you're sowing and you're fixing things and you're doing all that needs to be done and you're staying up late, taking care of all those crops. But you know when the crops actually grow? When you're doing nothing but sleeping, when you are dormant, when you are passive, when you're not doing anything, God is the one who brings the growth. You can do all the building that you want, but God is the only one who gives the gift of success. You can do all the protecting that you want, but God is the only one who gives the gift of protection. And you can do all the working that you want, but God is the only one who gives the gift of provision. And I I don't know that all of you are thinking about this, but some of you might be thinking, so we just do nothing? I mean, if God's going to take care of it, is he saying it's pointless? Why even work? Why get up at all? Why even try to protect it all? Why even try to build it all? And that's actually not where Solomon is going for this. In fact, if you want a really, really uplifting book to read, there's the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible. (laughs) 
And in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon systematically goes through life and he says, uh, you might be wise, but wisdom doesn't always work. Sometimes the fools have success. And you might be strong, but strength doesn't always get you success. Sometimes it's the weak people that get it. And you can be righteous, but that doesn't always work. Sometimes the unrighteous people get success. And it could seem really depressing and discouraging. Why even try then? But Solomon gets towards the end of this book. And in chapter 11, he says, so cast your bread upon many waters. And what he means by this is try a whole bunch of things because you never know which one the Lord will give success to. He doesn't say, you don't know, so be passive. He says, you don't know, so try a whole bunch of stuff. You never know what's going to work and how God is going to use this. So Solomon is not saying, don't do anything. But Solomon is saying, don't think that you are actually the one in control of your life. Don't overestimate the amount of control that you have over the life that you're building. Because many of us do talk about building in our lives, even if we're not building physical things. We talk about building a resume, or we talk about building relationships, or we talk about building wealth, or sort of building a career. Um, or, Or some of you high schoolers right now, you're building your college application and sort of your resume to go along with that. We're building things. And Solomon would say to us, don't overestimate the amount of control that you have over that. Because you could spend years and decades looking to be the greatest athlete on earth and you could train and you could work out and you could eat all the right things and one car accident and you're done. You don't have as much control as you think you do. And you could be as wise and frugal and shrewd with your finances as you want to and it just takes one downturn in the stock market and you're done. You are not as in control of your lives as you think you are. And right now you might be thinking, all right, well, this is good. I'm I'm not sure how it's going to tie into the whole abortion kids thing. But so so let me just tie it in now. The the core reason why women go and get abortions um, is not because of rape. That's a tiny, tiny, tiny percent. It's less than 1%. Um, The core reason why women get abortions is not because of medical issues. That does happen, but that, again, is a tiny percentage. Those added together are typically 1% to 2%. The core reason why women have abortions is because children are inconvenient and they are getting in the way of what we are building. This is in the way of what I'm building and now I'm going to have to quit school. Now I'm going to have to cut back on work. Now we're going to have to get married or gosh, I don't think we want to get married. And and now we're going to co-parent even though we don't want to be married. Children get in the way of those big plans that we have. And so we've created in our culture an easy way to get around that. And one of the things that get, comes to us in this psalm that Solomon is giving us is, you know what, as believers in Jesus Christ, we should be the people who aren't devastated when the plans that we're making fall apart. Because we're the people that realize from the outset, we can't make this happen. All right, we're saving and we're trying and I'm trying to get this job and I'm trying to get into this school and trying to get into this career and I'm trying to marry this person. But you know what, if it falls apart, I knew from the beginning I can't control these things. So when God interrupts my plans, I'm willing to flex with it. And even within this, you might say, but but shouldn't we really try? Shouldn't we work hard to make our plans happen? I'd say, sure, work hard to make your plans happen. But there's an extent that none of us should be willing to go to just to make sure that our plans should happen. 
there are things that you should be unwilling to do and unwilling to compromise in order to fulfill your plans. And one of the things that you should be unwilling to do in order to fulfill those plans is to take the life of an innocent person created in the image of God. It is just too precious for you to take it out because it's getting in the way of your plans. Those of us who are believers in Jesus, we get to step back and say, all right, I'm not in control of my life. I can't make what I want to have to happen. I'm going to try for it and I'm going to try to listen to the voice of God and how he's leading me, but I'm going to hold loosely to my plans. And if God brings an interruption, I'm not going to commit evil in order to keep my plans going. We have a perspective shift from independence to dependence. But then in verses three through five, we have our second perspective shift, and it's specifically about children. And this perspective shift is a shift away from seeing children as an inconvenience in our lives and a shift towards seeing children as a profound blessing in our lives. So we get to verse three. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. And you can see the parallelism that's often present in the Psalms. You got heritage and reward parallel. God is the giver of this good gift. Just as God is the only one who can truly make success happen, and just as God is the only one who can truly bring protection, and just as God is the one who can only truly bring provision, at the end of the day, God is the only one that can decide that you're going to have a child. We see this. We're taking a break from a couple weeks from Genesis, but if you've been following along in the Genesis story, one of the big themes of the life of Abraham is that he really wants a child, and for a long time, God says no. And then when he's 100 and his wife is 90, God says yes. God's in control of all this. In fact, just, just as a preview, as we keep going through Genesis, this theme is going to come up again. God is the one who gives these gifts. And Solomon decides to zero in and say, gosh, you you know what else God gives as a gift? He gives children as a gift. And you might even be thrown off by the word reward because when when we think of reward, sometimes we just think of like the, you know, the, the household pet where you're like, all right, do this trick. Now you get a reward. So you did something good and immediately you get a reward. If you do something bad, you immediately get a punishment. And, and that doesn't seem to line up with how children come about because sometimes children come about because of sin. Sometimes there's two people who are married to each other and they have sex outside of marriage and a child comes. And we could look at that and say, well, is is that a reward for bad behavior? And on the other hand, I know there's even some of you in this room that you've dealt with infertility and you've dealt with miscarriages and just the, the overwhelming grief of that. And you're so longing for a child and it hasn't happened yet. And you can look at that and say, well, gosh, I, I, I've been good. And maybe I've been better than some other people who've been rewarded with children. Why is God not rewarding me? And the answer that here is Solomon is not giving this minute one-for-one construction here. What he is giving us is a perspective in general towards the children in our lives and saying, don't see them as something in the way. See them as part of God's most profound, beautiful gifts to your life. Because at the end of the day, a reward is something that you want. So he's saying a child is something that you want. Not just an inconvenience, not just an interruption to your best life, but something beautiful and wonderful. And you know this even if you don't have kids, but if you do have kids, you know that this is true. You know the beauty of having children and you know the joy that God brings through the children that we get to have. 
You know the joy of seeing them grow and learn and how your heart just, you know, sort of soars and then breaks along with them and how they're doing. You also know the beauty of getting to see a glimpse of God the Father's heart for us because you have those moments where you say, gosh, I, my heart is overflowing with how much I love my child. And that's just a tiny, minute reflection of the God of the universe and his father heart towards us. But we get in on blessings by having children. That said, we all should acknowledge children are also inconvenient. I mean, the, 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 there's, there's not a, a sharp choice here. We can at least acknowledge, yeah, yeah, if you have a child, your life is going to be interrupted. There are going to be some difficulties, especially when they're really little. You, you go along with that. Um, and, and, and on a more serious note, something that I used to say, um, uh, if I would be given a sermon like this, or if I'd be talking to people and sort of debating the abortion issue, is I'd say, you know, p- part of the way that this breaks down is that no pro-choice person is ever going to be as cold or callous as to say to their child, I wish I would have aborted you. Um, and then I read a story that really broke my heart. And, and this, this story, it's not super recent, it's from about five years ago, and it happened in Portland. And it was about a lawsuit these parents had sued a hospital and actually won a, a, a decision against this hospital for $2.9 million. Um, and the reason they had sued the hospital is because their daughter, who was now four years old, um, had Down syndrome. And this was not caught by the test that they did while she was still in the womb. And so the parents later came back to the hospital with all of their medical bills and all the ongoing care that they needed to give to their daughter. And they said, if you would have got the test right, we would have had an abortion. And so you need to pay for the care of our child. Um, And something that I genuinely thought I would never hear was basically parents, although they say, we love her, saying to their child, our lives would have been better if we would have aborted you. And part of what broke my heart about this is because this family, this couple had the chance to go a completely different direction with this. And they could have even acknowledged, they could have come forward and said, you know what, here's the deal. If they would have got the test right, we would have had an abortion. That's just a reality. We would have done that. But thank God they got the test wrong. Thank God they missed this. God spared us from not having this precious child in our lives. Thank God they got it wrong. And instead they said, you should have got it right because then we wouldn't have had to deal with this. How tragic to see children who are inconvenient as purely something that gets in the way instead of one of the greatest blessings in our lives. You know, Solomon goes on, he, he not only tells us, all right, ch- children are a blessing and, and they're wonderful and they bring beauty into our lives. Um, he also says something pretty pragmatic in verses four and five. And he says, yeah, children are a blessing. You know what else children are? Children are useful. <laughs> Look at verse four. It says, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. So, and this is a good thing. If you're a warrior, you don't want just one arrow back there. You want a whole bunch of arrows back there. That's why he says, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Then you have children, the more the better. And he gives us a glimpse of why the more the better. In verse five, he says, they, and the they here is speaking of the people that have children and especially a bunch of children. He says, they will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Now here's what he's talking about. He's talking about the idea that as you get older, you get more vulnerable. 
And one of the ways that you might get more vulnerable is if you're older and you're kind of alone, you might be in a situation where you're taken to court and maybe your wits aren't all there or maybe you're just a little bit intimidated by the situation and you don't have people to back you up and so you get taken advantage of and you get a judgment against you that shouldn't come against you. There's injustice done. And here Solomon is saying, but if you got a bunch of sons and daughters back there, they are not going to let that happen. In fact, one of the reasons why I think he emphasizes children in your youth is because the idea was, have your children while you're young enough that that you'll still be alive when they're old enough to take care of you. Children are useful. And he's saying this, he's not saying this in a mercenary way, but he is saying this in a practical way. Like there's a practical benefit to having children around. Let me tell you about something I experienced just last Friday. We do yard work on Fridays around our house. Last Friday, my oldest son was in the back doing the leaf blowing. My middle son was in the front mowing the lawn. And my youngest son was under the orange tree raking it up. It was a great Friday. I was inside having a beer. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It was a soda. But... I was like, this is amazing. It used to be that like they're, they're and, and they did a great job with it. I went out and I was like, oh my gosh, this looks great. They're all super helpful. Now, now let me get a little bit more serious on this because it's not just me getting out of work. But one of my favorite things, and this happens semi-frequently, um, is, is that I'll get home from work and I'll be talking to Karina and, uh, and she'll tell me about something that happened during the day. And, and she'll say, you know what? There was one point in the middle of the day that I was just, I was feeling overwhelmed and I was feeling discouraged. And, uh, and one of the boys noticed that I was feeling this way. And he just came up and put his arm around me and gave me a little hug and said, mom, it's going to be okay. Now, there are now four people in her life that love her enough to do that. That is beautiful. That is part of the benefit. I mean, kids aren't just blessings. Kids are useful. This is good. It's good to have more around. He says, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. The more, the better, which is even part of our perspective here on this earth, where we talk about the problems of overpopulation. As believers in Jesus, that's not something that we see as a deep concern. We look at children and we say, image bearers, the more, the better. More image bearers is better in our world. And what a beautiful thing that we even get to experience some of the benefits of having children in our life and how tragic when you see people that get to the end of their life and they've been successful with their career and they've been successful with their finances, but they are alone. There's something beautiful about what God does through this. And you know, as as we think about this and as we think about God's unique calling for us and how we live differently as people, this should cause us to think. This should cause us to pause. This should cause us to look at what Solomon is saying and say, you know what, all right, and and this is especially for those of you that are younger, for for those of you in junior high and high school, for those of you that are in your 20s, to say, all right, here's the message that you are receiving. The message that you are receiving right now is do all of the things that you want to do that are important in your life, and only after you've done all of those things, get married and have children. But make sure to knock stuff off your bucket list. And by the way, sometime there will be a sermon about bucket lists and how bad they are but that's a different sermon for a different time. (laughs) But that's largely the message of the culture. And the message from scripture is not every one of you is going to get married, but the message from scripture is it is good when men and women get married early and give their best years to raising those kids. That is a good, that is a beauty. 
And it also means that for us in the, in the church of Jesus Christ, that we would look at women who have either put career on hold or de-emphasized career in order to give themselves to the care of their children, stay home with the, their children, that we would not look at them sideways as if this was something strange. We would look at them and champion that as a beautiful, good choice. That those of us who are fathers would look at our lives and say, you know what, if career needs to be de-emphasized or I need to not take that promotion because it would mean uprooting our family or it would mean I would get, I'm going to be around a lot less, that we would look at that as a good. That we would say the time that we spend investing in and raising our children is likely going to be the most important thing we do with our lives. They're a blessing from the Lord. They're not an inconvenience. They're one of the profound blessings God has given us. Let me throw in another thing, and that's that one of the beautiful things that we experience through the gospel is that we are adopted into the family of God. And there are some of you in this church who have modeled the gospel through adopting children. This ought to be something that we as the church of Jesus are on the front end of. That we are on the front end of looking at children who need a home and adopting them into our family. And so part of what God may be calling you to do from this specific message is to consider if he's calling you to take a role in adoption. Children are a gift from the Lord, and our national attitude and our personal attitude towards abortion is really driven by our attitude towards children. And this is going to have different implications for all of us. For for some of us, this is going to mean, you know what? I've been too busy with my hobbies. I've been giving too much just to try to chase that money and chase that promotion. And I'm going to make sure I am giving more time to my children. Or that I'm giving more time to my grandchildren or my nieces and nephews. Or I'm going to serve in children's ministry. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give more time to this. For some of you, frankly, it might mean, you know what, all right, we're married now and we're kind of on the seven-year plan where we're trying to get all this stuff done before we have children. But you know what, God may be calling us to adjust that and to start trying to have children now. He's the one who gives the children, but it's time for us to stop putting that plan on hold and say, this is a good that we can do instead of a necessity that we're trying to delay. For some of you, it may mean that you take the brave step of starting to look into adoption and see how you can model the gospel through that. But whatever we do, what we know is this. We are saying something to the world around us by how we conduct ourselves. And if we really embrace the gospel of Jesus, the the gospel says that we all come to Jesus as children, then that means that it's not enough for us to look around at our culture and say, I vote pro-life, I got the bumper sticker, and I talk about how I'm pro-life but that one of the profound ways that we show that we value the sanctity of human life is the way that we interact with the children that God has given us and the way that we welcome new children into the world. You know, let, let me just read a verse before I pray for us. Um, something that Jesus said that I think leads us right into this. It's in Mark chapter 9, verses 36 and 37. Speaking of Jesus, it says, He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Let me pray for us right now. Father, we pray We pray that you forgive us for being so transfixed with having comfortable lives that we've missed out 
Father, we pray that you forgive us for the arrogance of being under the illusion that we are actually in control of our lives. And Father, I pray that that for each one of us, as much as we crave comfort and we crave a smooth life, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes. You are calling us to so much more than a smooth, conflict-free life. You are calling us to life on the narrow road. You are calling us to significance, not to ease. Father, we pray for the children who are part of this church family. We pray that you lead them to know you and trust you, to boast in you and to reflect you to the world around them. Father, we pray for the parents in this room, that you empower them, that you give them perspective, that you give them boldness in how they raise their kids and that you give them the willingness to sacrifice. Father, we pray that you bring about adoptions. We pray that you bring about new births. We pray that you bring about sacrifices. And we pray that you bring us joy as we like to look to follow you on the more difficult path, but the path that brings the ultimate life and the ultimate reward. And Father, we pray for our nation. We pray for a national repentance that we would turn away from the evil of being willing to discard image bearers for our own convenience. We pray that you lead us in a new repentance and a new way. And we pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.